Good evening again, everybody. Say good evening to your neighbor with a smile. And ask them, how was today? How was today? How has today been? <laughs> is the city red? <laughs> or is it blue? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, so we just dive straight into our outline. Do, do we all have the outline? If you don't, if you have the outline, wave to me. Everybody has the outline. Fantastic. Okay. Um, if you don't have the outline, wave your hand. Nobody. Okay. Great. So, the open section of the outline um, straight away asks us, what does Valentine's Day mean to you? <laughs> let's, let's take the bull by the horn. <laughs> what does Valentine's Day mean to you? Who wants to go? What does Valentine's Day mean to you? What does it mean to you? Does it mean anything? If it does, I mean, what does it mean? Is it a big deal? Why is it such a big deal? Should it be a big deal? Why shouldn't it be a big deal? Not that I want to start a theological debate <laughs> or anything. I just want us to, um, what does it mean to you? It's a good thing we have a Romeo in the house. So give Romeo the mic and let him, <laughs> let him tell us. Oh, is that not Romeo? Am I not seeing well? Is that him? You are pretending as if you are the Romeo. <laughs> you can sit down. It's okay. We just want to hear your voice. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Okay. Um, Valentine's Day is just like every other normal day to me. And I really don't put much priority into today, like being 14th February. Right. Okay. That's why I'm actually here. Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. It's just Thank a normal you. day for me. For you, okay. Yes, Fantastic. Yes. That's why you're actually here. Okay. We get it. Anybody else? What does it mean to you? Pastor Dina is in red. Sharp red. Please give her the mic. You want to know what the, <laughs> 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 the occasion is. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I, I, I think um, Valentine's Day is just a very happy day. A lot of people are always very happy on Valentine's Day. I'm wearing red just to, you know, also join the happy flock. <laughs> and, um, and because of my line of business, you know, right. it's our duty to make Valentine cakes for people. They take it very seriously. So mm. we have to take it seriously too. So it's, it's not that it's only today it's that love happens. Love happens for me every day. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Amen. So the right is a so business I, I, decision. I mean, I didn't get any Valentine, anything, but it doesn't affect the love. The love is secure. It's not Constant. the Valentine kind of stuff. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> but like I said, so the, the, the dressing is, is a business decision. I mean, too. Uh, <clears throat> you have to be culturally relevant in your line of business. Okay, anybody else? What does Valentine's Day mean to you? Had a man, had a lady. Anybody else? What does it mean to you? I mean, okay, someone that it means something to. Can, <laughs> I mean, it can't be all of us that it doesn't mean anything to. Somebody that it means something to. Just be vulnerable. I just, let's hear it. You know, it's, it's not, hey, thank you. It means something to me. The thing, they pinch me if nothing happens. Yeah. 
Good evening, sir. Good evening. It may not necessarily be in the line of thoughts you are Go on ahead. right now. <laughs> okay. So before now, I in the university, it used to be a big deal. And um, a certain part of my life, it was a really big deal. Like Valentine's Day is a day to go out, to watch movie, to get gifts and all of that. But now, I don't, it's not that much of a big deal anymore. But gifts and all of that are still very I welcome. appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. You know, I won't talk about the ladies that are having new hairdos right now. I'll just look straight to the Bible and just focus. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> okay. Um, so, 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 our text today, John chapter 5, verse 16 to 47. We trust that God will teach us himself today. In fact, every time we open God's word, I'm always like, ah, oh, this is so huge, it's so important. I know if I say that, you, you will tell me that's what I said last week, and <laughs> that's what I said before. But it's, it's so huge, you know, and I pray that God will give us understanding in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so I'll read alone this time. Or should we read together? I'll read alone. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied. Now, the background to this is from last week. Jesus healed a man that was uh, blamed for how, how many years? 38 years. And the man, um, I mean, told on Jesus and, and said, that's the guy that healed me. He's responsible for, for working on, on the Sabbath. And then the story goes. That the Jewish leaders were harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rule. But Jesus replied, my father is always working. And so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. That's serious. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father. And the significance of this is that thereby making himself equal with God. So, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact... The father will show him how to do even greater works. In other words, never see anything yet. He was telling them, you know, then than healing this man. Greater works than healing this man. Greater works than healing this man. Next now. Then <laughs> you will truly be astonished. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he chooses, he wants. In addition, the Father judges no man, no one. Instead, he, gives, he has given the Son absolute authority 
to judge so that everyone will honor the son just as they honor the father. Anyone who does not honor the son is certainly not honoring the father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins. But they have already passed from death to life. And I assure you that the time is coming indeed. It's here now already. When the dead we hear the voice. The voice of the son of God. And those who listen will live. The father has life in himself. And he has granted that some life-giving power, same life-giving power to, the son, to his son. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves, we hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me. Not my own will. Verse 31. That shouldn't be there. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. 32. But someone else is also testifying about me. And I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist. Do you remember that? And his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witnesses. But I say these things so that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp. And you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John. My teachings and my miracles. The father gave me these works to accomplish. And they provide proof rather, that he sent me. And the father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice, nor seen him face to face. And you do not have his message in your heart. This must be very offensive to those religious leaders. Because you do not believe me, the one he sent to you. You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. It says, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me. 
Because I know you don't have God's love within you. They must be fuming by now. Praise the Lord. No wonder they killed him. For I have come to you in my father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Verse 45. Yet, it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses, the one you rely on, the one you say is your teacher and your prophet, will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me. Because he wrote about me. Verse 47. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Amen. The Lord bless the reading and the understanding of his words in Jesus' name. I mean, it's, it's really, really... Um, thought-provoking. Jesus was very, it was an enigma. I mean, there was nothing they could do about him, and he was telling them the truth as it is. I mean, these were religious leaders that controlled the whole um, thought pattern as far as God was concerned in that time, and they held that office very tightly, and Jesus said to them, you don't know God. The love of God is not in you. You can't make it to heaven. You will only make it to heaven if you believe in me. And they're like, this boy, capital son, how old is he? He's not even 40. It was a big deal. And he struggled. Praise the Lord. So Jesus does what he does regardless of people's opinion. So Jesus saw the man cripple for 38 years. He knew it was Sabbath. But he says, I prefer mercy and not sacrifice. He chose to show mercy to the man, regardless of what the law says. Healed the man, and hell broke loose. Verse 16 to 18 says to us, So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath. Verse 18. So the Jewish, go on. The Jewish leaders tried all the other to find a way to kill him. Now, the question is this. Jesus had just healed a man crippled for 38 years. And all they could see was how Jesus didn't obey their tradition That's all they could see. Can you relate to this? Jesus went off on them, you know, for the next 28 verses. He just went off on them. Have you seen God do something and maybe back then you just couldn't relate? Or maybe there are people in your life right now, somebody is healed for 38 years. They are more concerned about uh, the pastor that is preaching. 
that is wearing short sleeve. <laughs> People worry about so many things. Some lady sent me a message how she would come to church again because I don't bring the Bible to the altar of God. I, that I, I bring <laughs> tablets. I said, my sister, there's Bible. I said, no! Give me the old time religion. I'm like, what has that got to do with the old time religion? I mean, I should stop coming to church. Last week, we talked about how, by the grace of God, you know, 101 people give their life to Jesus here at the God Ringing Service. I mean, if you look at all the locations in Cape Town, three people, in Calabar, five people, and on and on and on. And people are sending me messages, and they're saying, eh, they've given their life. Let's just pray that their names is in the book of life. And I'm like, I'm like, let's, what, what this, this Pharisee, the Pharisee spirit is alive. There's a spirit, this is a Pharisee spirit that blinds people from seeing the work of God. And focus exclusively on the traditions of men. It takes away the beauty of the gospel. And people begin to focus on the, the, the letter and the title of the word. Meanwhile, they leave the spirit that gives life. Hallelujah. So, but, but when we read, you know, the, the irony is, is, is this. When you read John 6.30 and John 4, um, 6.31, it says, they answered, they said to Jesus, this is in the next chapter, the one we are going to get into from next week by the grace of God. It says, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe you. What can you do? Perform something, Jesus. We, we, we saw in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, verse 48, the previous chapter that we read, Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see a miraculous sign? So, these are the people that were asking. They went to John to, to confirm, who is this guy that is preaching? They went to Jesus to meet him. Show us a sign. Show us a miraculous sign. And the irony is this. There was one right in front of them. Jesus just healed a man, crippled for 38 years, and still they didn't believe. What does that tell us? So, one of the ironies, you say a lot of ironies in the book of John, as we said at the beginning, of, of the book of John, is, is people who demand miracles, but are unable to accept them when they occur. It's a huge irony. So, the question to you and I is this. Have you struggled to accept miracles when they occur? I I'm guilty. <laughs> and I will tell you my story if there's time. But I want to hear your story. Have you, has there been a time that you actually struggle to anybody? Okay, yes. To accept miracles when they occur. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay, I'll just share a personal experience that happened a while ago and then one happened very recently. Okay, um, it was one of those periods when we were um, fasting, and um, I had this very bad sore throat. This one happened about 
maybe five years ago, we were in Indonesia then, but the church was fasting. So, <laughs> and I was upstairs and I prayed. I put my hands on my throat and I prayed and I, I, I prayed against the pains and everything. And honestly, by the time I walked downstairs to the kitchen to just get a cup of water, I couldn't feel the pains anymore. It was completely gone. And then in my mind, I was like, did I really have this sore throat in the first place? <laughs> you begin to doubt the sore throat. I was doubting. That was costing you hell before. <laughs> and, but, but, but I was like, if I had not really, really felt the pain and laid right. my hands on my right. throat, personally, I wouldn't really have. Right. And then there was one that happened recently as well. And during this last fast, I had a very bad sore throat. And I was taking a lot of honey, ginger, and things like that. And then um, God healed me. And then after a while, <laughs> the enemy was saying, was it God that really healed you? Are you sure it's not all the ginger and the honey that you've been combining? And I'm like, anyway, God used the ginger and the honey. <laughs> and I got my healing. There's no stories there. Thank you very much. You know, why the voice of doubt is so real and it keeps a lot of us back. As a pastor, I kid you not, years ago, at least about 12 years ago, 12, 11 years ago, when um, the Holy Spirit first began to um, lead me to some amazingly accurate word of knowledge, and I would struggle, and I would say them. I would say them, I'd say, hmm. I'd say my heart, hmm. I've said them. <laughs> I kid you not. There was two incidences. I can't remember the lady's specific issue, but the man... Was it says he was practically clinically blind, and God said he was healing somebody that was blind, and the guy came to see me, and says, "Oh, pastor, I can see clearly." And I was like, "Are you sure? Go and check. Are you sure?" And I remember the man and the woman at different instances rebuking me and saying to me, "I have told you, I was like this before, and this God has healed me. And you're telling me am I sure?" I kid you not. The woman was really upset. I can't remember what the issue was. She was like, Pastor, how can you tell me? Are you the one carrying the pain? I said, no. I don't want the pain. <laughs> Go with your healing. So I, I struggled at those times, you know, and uh, it was just, it also helped us to see that these Pharisees are not, they are just human beings also, you know. And, but it's still not an excuse for God's work. It's not an excuse for God's work. If God does a work, he expects that we acknowledge it. Why is it that you prayed for the healing? You got healed. Why? How come that is when the voice of doubt can tell you it was not God? Where was that voice before when you were in pain? Praise the name of the Lord. So this reveals the fundamental necessity of faith. And the, the fundamental necessity of faith is this. We must believe before we see. That word is before, if you're filling the blanks, we must believe before we see. Otherwise, we will not believe even when we see. We must believe before we see, otherwise we will not believe even when we see. That's the fundamentals of faith. If, if you say, oh, let me see, then I will believe. Even when you see it, you will not believe if you didn't believe before you saw it. That's, this is the proof of, of that. It's, 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 it's a fundamental principle of faith. Faith is believing before seeing. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. 
The world prides itself in what is called seeing is believing. Have you heard that before? Seeing is believing. But Jesus turns it upside down. Says, no, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Countercultural. Jesus is so countercultural. Believing is seeing. So we must believe in order to see. Put in another way, we must believe so that we can see. Not that we need to see so that we can believe. We must believe so that we can see. If you believe, Jesus said to Martha, did I not say to you in John 11, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. You have to believe. What, what is it that is before you? You have to believe. You want to see God's hands. You have to believe. You have to believe first. Can God make a way? You have to believe first. Can God make this thing happen? You have to believe first. You know, I was having a conversation with someone during the week and, and we we're talking and this was like, it's, even, it's actually more work not to believe. To doubt is more work. You need more trouble, more worry, more. It's actually easier to believe. Do you know that? It's actually easier to believe. Just believe. This is what God said. Just believe it. In verse 17 to 18, it says, but Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the other to kill him for not only for he not only broke the sabbath according to them he called god his father thereby making himself equal with god question why would jesus saying that god is his father make them conclude that he was making himself equal with god to those of us that are um, western educated Education is received from, largely from the Western world. Those that are Semitic educated or the Middle Eastern world, they, don't, they won't struggle with this concept. But those of us that are Western educated, it doesn't come naturally. Father, who does, what does that mean? In fact, father in our culture, those of us are Africans, <laughs> means you are someone that you are subjugated to. <laughs> you know, someone that can, that when he calls you, you have to prostrate. That's just what father is to us. Someone that can give you a knock. Someone that you must carry his briefcase. Somebody that you must wash his car. You must clean. I mean, but you've not washed your daddy's car. And you, you want to go to school. Who's going to give you school fees? <laughs> I mean, I had those kind of training. So, when we read this with our, with our experience of understanding of father, we probably don't get it. So, so why, why would they? Who wants to help us? Say Yes, sir. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. In the Jewish tradition, um, a son is equated to the father, almost like the father. Um, the Pharisees, they believe that God is the father of all. When you personalize God to be your own father, you mean that God is like you have the same, you come out of God. And that is why when Jesus was born, he didn't have a biological father. Mm. He came through God. 
according Amen. to that tradition, because Jesus would have been called the father, the son of, he would have been called the son of Joseph. The son of Joseph, absolutely. Amen. Okay, that is correct. Anybody else? Okay, so let's go on very quickly. So the concept of fatherhood is, 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 the, is, is from the um, Semitic um, mindset. It's the, the progenitor is huge. That is, is the source of life. Is the one through whom I get life. And that means that everything that flows in the Father flows in me. Praise the name of the Lord. So when you say, this is my Father, you're saying this is my source. The, 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 the stream cannot be separated from its spring. In fact, the stream is an expression of the spring, of its source. The stream is an expression of its source. It's as the source gushes. It determines its flow, its, its current, its existence. The, the source determines its taste, remember. So, the stream and the source are one. The father and the son are one. And that's where we get the word offspring from. It springs off me. This is my offspring. So this has the same material essence with me. So when Jesus says that God was his father, he's saying that I am made up of the same material essence as God. And I could have, like, what's wrong with this boy? How can you say you are equal with God? But isn't that love that God will choose to call us friends and to be equal <laughs> with us? And, you know, it's just beautiful. And in another instance, Jesus was saying to them, don't you understand when he says ye are gods? Why is it difficult for you to get that concept? Praise the name of the Lord. So by the time we get to um, 24, chapter 24, verse 24, sorry, it says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. And they will never, everybody say never, they will never be condemned for their sins. It's not that they don't have sins, but they will never be condemned for, my, for their sins. Now, why? Why wouldn't they be condemned for their sins? They have passed from death to life. But then get to verse 28. Same Jesus saying, don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all that is dead in the grave will hear the voice of God's son, the son of God, and they will rise again. Those who have done good. The first one suggests as if what you do doesn't matter. The second one says, those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued to do evil will rise to experience death. So, is that is Jesus saying that salvation by works? Is he saying that is purely by works? But this same Jesus says, those that believed, once you believe in me, you have been translated from death to life. In the same chapter says, some will rise to eternal condemnation because of their works. Some will rise to eternal life because of their works. What is he saying? Basically, in a nutshell. Those before Jesus, this scripture 100% applies to. 
those before Jesus. They didn't, there was no grace. There was no, so it has to be purely by works. Those of us after Jesus, by the time you look at John 6, 28, so what is this work of God I have to do? What is the work that I have to do? That work must flow from the work. What is the work that I have to do? Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Believe the one he has sent. So Jesus ties it again back to When you believe in me, everything you do after that flows from your faith in Christ Jesus. So, your, the, the, the source is your stream. And the stream determines, the, the spring determines the stream, the flow, and the, and the taste. And the taste. So, every work you do outside of Jesus is like filthy rags. It's, no matter how good it is, it's going to be disgusting to God. It can't, it can't, none can be pure by himself. The good works we do must flow from Christ. Praise the name of the Lord. Before it is acceptable to God. The judgment of the believer, the good works we do that does not flow from Christ, is not acceptable to God. The judgment of the believer, you know there are two Judgment. Maybe after John, we look at Revelations. The book of Revelations, also written by John. <laughs> that one, you have to come with your encyclopedia. <laughs> What's wrong with the ACs? Hallelujah. Okay, so. What was the last thing I said? Pardon me? <laughs> Who wants to remind me? What was the last thing I said? And one person, just one person. Yes. Yes. Okay, yes, yes. Judgment believer, thank you. So, so the, the, <laughs> there are two judgments at the end of the day. There's, what is called the eternal judgment and the white throne room judgment. The believer in Christ Jesus will not face judgment. And by that, the scripture means this believer in Christ Jesus will not face eternal judgment. The believer in Christ Jesus will face the white throne room judgment, which means that all your works will go through fire. Some people their works, once they enter fire, phew, it will just catch fire. It will, it's gone. Some people don't even have any work to put inside fire. <laughs> but some of us, our work will come out as gold, refined with fire, in Jesus' name. Okay, so we need to go quickly. Um, so, so, Jesus was establishing that is above all. Jesus is above all. If you flip, oh, it should be there already. <laughs> the back page. 
Jesus is above all. Verse 21 says, For just as the Father gives life to those who he, rise, he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he chooses. That's so powerful. In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, he has given the Son absolute authority to judge so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father. So Jesus is above all. Jesus is saying, I am superior. I can, in fact, there are two things the, the, the rabbinic movement agree on as far as God's work is concerned. They agree that God is still judging and God is still giving life. But every other thing, God has stopped. So Jesus is saying to them, you agree that God is still judging and giving life. I am in charge of that judgment. And I am in charge of that life. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'm in charge of the judgment. I'm in charge of the life. The father doesn't bother with judgment. I am going to judge. The life doesn't come from the father. He has said I should give life and I will give it to anybody I choose. You better be my friend. That's what Jesus was saying. Be my friend and I'll give you life. And verse 30, very quickly, we see here that, you know, it was making it, even after saying all that, he's saying, I can of myself do nothing. So even though I have the liberty to choose and to decide and to make things happen, I differ to the Father. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. That Therein lies the two keys to accurate discernment and judgment in that scripture. The first key to accurate discernment and judgment in any situation, as I hear, I judge. Don't judge things on surface level. Wait on the Holy Spirit. What is God saying? They've put the business deal before you. Everything is looking rosy. Put pen to paper. Pause. Stop. Get back into your closet. What is the Holy Spirit saying? As I hear, I judge. There are certain things that maybe investment, everybody is saying, oh, they're talking it down, they're doing this, they're doing that, and I mean, I can, I, I can tell you more than once, you know, and the Holy Spirit will say to me, that is where you are going to invest. <laughs> and I invest, and in 12 months, 800% increase. Which investment give you 800% increase if God has not sent you? Then he says, okay, it's time to come out. Then you come out. <laughs> then he says, okay, this is another one. So if people come to you and tell you one story, if you don't listen to God, you will have reached conclusions that can cause trouble, particularly in a community. As I hear, I judge. That's the first thing. Second thing is, I, even as I move, as I'm making my judgment, I do not seek my own will. I am not about my own will. 
I'm seeking only the will of the Father who has sent me. So, even if you are going to make a wrong decision because your heart is right, because you, you are not interested in building your own kingdom, you are, you are not interested in doing your own thing, you want to glorify God, you want to seek God, because your heart is right, God will make it right. That's how it works. But a lot of people, their heart is so wrong, everything is to justify for power, justify for position, position themselves for favor, position... Promotion does not come from the east or from the west, but from God. So quickly, we breeze through the fourfold witness. It's, it's big, it's fourfold witness. And Jesus shows four different kinds of testimony that validates him. And we theologians call it fourfold witness. So if, if you're having a conversation and somebody asks you, do you know the fourfold witness of Christ? You know, just tell them. And say, what church do you go to? Oh, God's every house. You know, that's... <laughs> okay. Number one, the fourfold witness. The first is self-testimony. Verse 31 says, if I were to testify of my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. So Jesus says, the first fold witness the first of the fourfold witness is self testimony however if i were to testify of myself the testimony will not be valid now notice that it did not say the testimony will not be true it said the testimony will not be valid it says it didn't say it, it will not be true because indeed it is true if jesus says it it is true but he's saying True, but not valid. Such humility. This is God that speaks and the earth was formed. And he's saying, what I'm saying, because I am saying it, I'm going to subject myself to what is obtainable in this community. So, what I'm saying, though it is true, meanwhile, it is by the word of his power that he holds the old world together. So, his word is not only true, it is valid. The day Jesus' word becomes invalid, the whole world disintegrates. Praise the name of the Lord. But he subjected himself huge humility and says, <laughs> my uh, uh, testimony will not be valid. Why? Because there's, there's, there are, for two reasons. There's, there's a scriptural truth. You see, it, you see it in Deuteronomy, you see it in... Two places in Deuteronomy, maybe Exodus. You just see in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 13, 1. 2 Corinthians 13, 1 says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. But as the scriptures says, the fact of every case must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So, Jesus knows that by scriptures, every truth must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So, he's saying, based on that strength, even though what I'm saying is true... I'm not going to hold you to that. It may not be valid. The second reason it's not valid is in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the Hebrew text of the documented text of the oral tradition. You know? The Hebrew Bible is called the Talmud. And the Talmud has two sections. The Mishnah and the Gemara. Now, the Gemara is just Commentaries of what the Mishnah is. The, 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 the Mishnah is the main, main thing. 
And guess what the Mishnah also says? None may be believed because he testifies by himself. So when Jesus is saying, my testimony is not valid, he's not saying it's not true. He's not even saying it's not valid. He's just saying that, listen, I know how you think. I know what your law says. And I'm going to, and I'm going to subject myself to that. The first of the fourfold witness is self-testimony. The second is the testimony of another. The testimony of another. The testimony of another. Verse 32 to, 32 to 33, it says, but someone else is also testifying about me. He was talking about John the Baptist. And I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist and his testimony about me was very true. So Jesus is saying, now you have your two witnesses, but you still will not listen. It's valuable, but it's insufficient. Again, Jesus choosing, even though it's sufficient by the Tamil and um, by the Mishnah, Jesus is choosing that it is insufficient simply because it is human testimony. That was his personal choice. He says, I don't need any human testimony. Even though John the Baptist is saying the same thing I'm telling you, you have your two witnesses. By the time you get to verse 34, it says it in 34, 41, and uh, 44. It says, of course, I have no need of human witnesses. That is his choice because he knows he's superior to that. He says, but I say this thing so that you might be saved. Your approval means nothing to me. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, when you get to a place, even now I pray, that the approval of men will mean nothing to you. When you get to that place, your life will be so beautiful. Because you can say what you want to say. It is what God says about you that matters. He says, no wonder you can't believe me. You gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. We should only care about honor from God, not honor from men. When God honors you, men will have no choice. When a man honors you, a man can dishonor you. When a man lifts you up, a man can pull you down. When God lifts you up, no man can pull you down. Praise the name of the Lord. So the, the third of the fourfold witness. So the first is the self-testimony. The second is testimony of another. The third is, the, is, is, is God's work through Jesus. So God's work through me is the third testimony. Third witness. Verse 36 and 37a. It says, but I have a greater witness than John. What is this witness? My teachings and my miracles. So Jesus is saying, the word that you are hearing, that you know, that is the word of God I'm speaking to you, and the work that God is doing through me is a witness to you. The Father gives, gave me these works to accomplish and they prove that he sent me. 
And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. So Jesus can come and get to the tomb of Lazarus, dead for four days, began to stink already, everybody crying, and says, roll away the stone, they roll away the stone, and Jesus can confidently say, Father, I know you hear me. But because of them, I'm saying this. Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came back to life. He could say that confidently because the father confirms it. Verse 43. It says, for I have come to you in my father's name and you have rejected me. If others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. Says, so the work of God through him, he said, you still did not accept. So, I gave you personal testimony. I have a witness of another, and I have a witness of God's work through me, and you still did not accept. Then, I will give you the fourth one, he said. Verse 39 and 14. And the fourth is the scriptures. So, the first of the four full testimony, the first is self-testimony, the second is testimony of another, the third is God's work through me, or God's work at work in me and through me. And the fourth is the scriptures. It says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, and that is true. But the scriptures point to me. You see, the scriptures you are reading from Genesis to Malachi points to me. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a bold, bold claim. It's a huge claim. And it was talking to religious leaders, scholars of the Bible, and he says, all the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. (laughs) Praise the name of the Lord. Forty-five to forty-seven. Says, yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Says Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. The Pharisees boast that Moses is their champion, their prophet there. He says, if you, if you really believed Moses, you would believe me. Because he wrote about me, a prophet that is greater than I is coming. Him you must listen to. That was what Moses said. We're talking about Jesus. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? So Jesus gave and reeled out the fourfold witness. I testified of myself. John testified on my behalf. That should be enough based on the Tamil. Yet I didn't stop there. The messages, the word I bring and the works of God through me, the miracles that God does testify of me. That's number three. And number four, the scriptures testify of me, Jesus said. And you have the fourfold, and you still did not believe. So, every time we don't believe God's word, we have to be careful that we are not becoming a Pharisee. Really. Verse 20. And this way we, um, we hang it today. For the fathers, for the father loves the son. I will say, Father loves the son. 
and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. We see Jesus here. Jesus boasts in his father's love for him. And that is big. Jesus was boasting in his father's love for him. The father loves the son. He's like a boy in the playground says, my daddy loves me. I mean, it's like my father loves me. We've said it before, you might have heard it before, that God's love for you is more important than your love for God. Your love for God is important. It's not either or. The two has to be in place. Our love for God is important, but God's love for us is more important. In fact, our love for God can only happen and flow from God's love for us. Any love we want to have for God that does not flow from God's love for us is meaningless. It's totally meaningless. David, if you check his life, what of the things that separated David does? David was so immersed in God's love for him that, you see, when, when you are immersed in God's love for you, your love for God will be evident. God himself says, this is a man after my heart. This is a man that loves me. But it, it could happen because David was so into God's love for him. One of the um, things I'm grateful for is that I have a name that reminds me every day of God's love for me. <laughs> every day. <laughs> every day. <laughs> God loves me. That's my name. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Honestly, I've never really struggled with God's love for me. Not once. It can be maybe traced to my name. I don't know. Not once have I doubted if God loved me. Even when I didn't know God. I knew he was always going to just show up. <laughs> and he always did. Praise the name of the Lord. And the, the, the man that is writing this book, John, is known as the apostle of love. That's, that's what John is known as. If you read First John Second John, third law, John, the book of John. In fact, when he refers to himself, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. So other people will call their names. They will say, okay, Peter did this. John the, uh, uh, Bartholomew did this. When he gets to his own name, he says, and the one that Jesus loved did this. <laughs> he was so intoxicated with it. And we're going to go through a few scriptures. This is so important. Stay with me. John 3, 23 to 25. A few of the references. NRSV. It says, one of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. <laughs> so, Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask Jesus whom he was speaking about betraying him. So while reclining next to Jesus, he asked, Lord, who, who is it? You know? <laughs> Even Peter couldn't ask that question. Peter is known for his love for God. John is known for God's love for him. So God's love for you 
we grant you access into places where your love for God will fail you. God's love for you, we grant you access into the chest of Jesus to just lie there and say, ah, what's going to happen in Nigeria? And you say, oh, don't worry. That one is going to happen. This one's going to happen. You know, it's beautiful. I was a beautiful. <laughs> John 19, 26 to 27. It says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, you know that the others will be jealous. Don't you think so? But did he give a damn? People that relish in God's love for them really don't care what everybody else thinks. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> if you worry yourself about what everybody thinks, the love is a bit Why do you think come and take your own? Why are you worrying about my own? So when Jesus saw the disciples whom he loved standing beside her, he said to her, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. God commits the most precious things he has to people that are convinced about his love for them. And as leaders, it's good to have people that love you. But trust more the people that are settled in your love for them. Be wary of people that always doubt your love for them. Love them. But when it's time to commit the most precious things you have, commit it to people that have unwavering confidence that you love them. And you are committed to them 100%. Those are the people you can trust. And that's what we see here. Jesus, Peter, I mean, all the guys were, they were there in different places. Jesus could see them. Who did he call? Hallelujah. Is this, am I going to, are you getting it? Good. Good. John 21 to 4. John 21 to 4. says, early on the first day of the week, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, <laughs> and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter. He needed to put that in the, the, in the book of John. He, he needed to write it. <laughs> outran him <laughs> and reached the tomb. But if you look beyond the competitiveness of young John, he was an old man when he wrote it anyway. And if you look beyond the fact that he was probably younger than Peter, so he was more agile, the truth is this. God's love for you will make you run faster than your love for God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I know you're writing. When you finish writing, you need to clap. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> to Jesus. <laughs> 
I'm joking. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. I made you clap. I didn't have to do that. God's love for you will make you run faster than your love for God. It's huge. John 21. Twenty to twenty-two. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now Jesus had just finished shredding Peter in a loving way, you know. And Peter now looked at John, disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. He was the one who reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, "Lord." Who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, hey, hey, Lord, what about him? What's going to happen to him? You have, it's only me you are talking about. What's going to happen to him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what's your business with that? What's that with you? Just follow me. Your love for God We have him respond to you probably publicly. But those that are settled in their love for God, what is between them and the Lord is between them and the Lord. It's not anybody's business. Those that are convinced and settled in their love for God, God will say, you say, oh, how come... Um, this person will get away with this because it's, how is that your business? Isn't that a place to be? Praise the name of the Lord. Are you still with me? The one the Lord loves for the Father loves the Son. This is Jesus speaking. And Gave, showed him everything he's doing. The father loves the son. The father loves the son. You know, there are three um, words, scriptures that are translated love. You probably know it already. The first is what? Agape, right? The second is what? Filio. And the third is what? Eros. So, agape is unconditional love. It's, 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 you, you choose to, you make up your mind to. It doesn't matter what the other person does. You are loving unconditionally. Unconditionally. Eros is romantic love between a man and a woman. I was going to say a man and a woman. I'm like, people are turning things upside down in this world. But it should be between a man and a woman. Not a woman and a woman. And not a man and a man. That's Eros. Filio, however, is friendship kind of love. It's a two-way kind of traffic. You like the person. You want to hang out with the person. 
is filio is always two way. Agape is one way. The word that God used here, Jesus used there, when he says, the father loves the son, is not agape, it's filio. The father loves the son. In other words, me and God, we are chummy. That's what Jesus was saying. And that even makes it more difficult for them to, to embrace. When you look at John 21, 15 to 17, John 21, 15 to 17, it says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, this was where he shared him, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than this? More than making money. Yes, Lord, Peter said, replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. That Jesus would ask him that question a third time. He said, but Lord, you know everything. You are God. If I don't love you, tell me if I'm lying. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And that was what broke the camel's back. He saw that when it is time to love God, God measures our love for him. with our service for his people. That's big. There's some people who just want to love God in their bedroom alone. Just me and my, me and my God. I love God. I don't know what people are doing in church. Me, I'm, I, I feel goose pimples when I'm singing praise and worship. I don't want to do life with anybody. I'm just an island. God's kind of love will make you serve other people. In fact, serving other people proves God's kind of love. But that is on one hand. When God, Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? The first time he was talking about agape. The word there was agape. Do you love me unconditionally? Unconditionally. The one-way traffic, Peter said yes. The second time, he says, Peter, do you love me? It was agape. Do you love me unconditionally? Peter says, yes. I mean, yes. The third time he said it, he probably reminded Peter that he denied Jesus three times. So Peter had to, Jesus had to ask him three times if he loves me. But when he says, do you love me the third time, it was not agape, it was filio. It was filio. Do you love me? So the first two, dependent on your love for me exclusively. The last one depends also on my love for you. Peter, do you get that I also love you and I want to be your friend? That's what he was saying to Peter. And Peter replied with filio. Yes, I know, Lord. And he started crying. Peter's unconditional love for Jesus only got him to deny Jesus three times. 
Nobody got him to deny Jesus three times. He couldn't go beyond there. But Peter settling God's unconditional love for him made him die for Jesus. Made him die for Jesus. Peter was, was crucified upside down. So, you can't fulfill your destiny in God if you don't have the free flow of your love for God and be settled in God's love for you. It takes not only being confident in your love for God, but also in being confident in God's love for you in order to fulfill your destiny in God. It takes agape and filio. So to, I mean, we started by asking about what we thought about Valentine's Day and all that. <laughs> it's interesting that the love matter is in today's uh, teaching. There's no coincidence in, in God, <laughs> none. And we see here that, look, look, in today's age, time and age, the big thing that is celebrated in Valentine is just Eros. But God wants us to experience agape and filio also. God wants us to experience friendship, real, genuine friendship. So when Jesus says, for the father loves the son and shows him everything, he's saying, I'm boasting in my father's love for me. And because of that, I have access to my father's secrets. To everything. And that's where life comes from. I ask you today, do you love God? While you are thinking of answering that, I ask you again another question. Are you sure, without a shadow of doubt, that God loves you? Let's bow our hearts as we bow our heads. I want us to think about that question. Without a shadow of doubt that God loves me. You are saying, Pastor, I can't, I can't say that God loves me. I'm not sure. I mean, it's shaky. It's on shaky foundations. I'm not settled. I'm here to tell you that God loves you. And you can receive his love today. And I pastor, pray with me. I want to receive the love of God. The real love of God. I want to receive it today. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to pray with you wherever you are seated. You don't need to come forward. That is me, pastor. Pray with me. Put up your hand over your head now, quickly. And we'll pray together. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. That's me. Keep the hands up. Keep the hands up. God bless you. That's me. Keep the hands up. Let's just talk to God. I mean, you know what you have heard. You know what's, what God has brought to you this evening. And just talk to him about it. You are the love of my life. You are the hope that I cling to. You mean more than 
everyone that is surrendering to you here and online, we ask that your love will be real in their lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, we will pray for every one of us that love you. But beyond our love for you, that your love for us will be crystal clear and evident to us that nothing will be able to separate us from the confidence in your love for us. Honor and glory we give unto you. In Jesus' mighty name we are prayed. Amen. Let's put our hands together for the Lord, for his word, for his kindness and his mercy. Thank you for listening to this. I want to encourage you to share this resource with your family and friends. God bless you. Hand on the keys of a cosa, hand on the keys of a cosa.